You're listening to 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Benji Shulman and this is the new Blue Review. Hope everything is going well with you on this beautiful Monday morning. Uh, much cooler than it was last night. Gosh, it was warm trying to sleep last night. It was not fun, even in the slightest. Um, uh, I was glad to see a little bit of a, a bit of an overcast vibe, quite frankly, uh, this morning. I thought it was nice and cool and uh, pleasant. And that, I hope, is what's going to be on the show today. Uh, it's going to be nice and cool and unpleasant. Well, <laughs> nice and cool and pleasant. Not unpleasant. Uh, we wouldn't want to do that. It's no good. It's no good at all. What have we got coming up? Well, we're chatting about a bunch of things. Uh, as usual, we always talk at the end of the show uh, about uh, good news in Israel. So we can talk about that a little bit at the end of the show. I promised that I would look into Maya Kahana for everyone. Uh, that Because that came up uh, last week or the week before. So uh, I will give you some feedback uh, about that and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that things. We're also going to be talking about the fact that there's a South African election coming up. Uh, as you may know, and it looks as though South Africans abroad are going to be allowed to vote uh, on the 27th of April. So I'm going to be finding out uh, how do you do that uh, and how can we encourage South Africans from overseas uh, to actually do a uh, vote as part of, part of the process because it wasn't always a thing that you could do uh, in South Africa. Uh, there had to be a special constitutional court decision on it and everything, so now it can be done. Uh, so, uh, you know, what what's the vibe there? What can we uh, what can we expect to see? So certainly uh, we will be having a look at that. We're also going to be chatting about the cost of Jewish living. I'll explain that in a little while, uh, and also uh, how it was that Venezuela uh, and Zimbabwe and uh, making bowls of chili all got mixed up together. So that is really uh, everything. That uh, is going to be on the show today So I'm hoping that you'll enjoy it You're going to be with us And uh, are going to be chatting to us That's uh, all that's going to come up uh, Yeah, that's uh, what it is So we're going to take a short break And we'll be back just after this From talk to music From Johannesburg to Israel From sport to business This is 101.9 High FM Now I was with I guess a bunch of other people at um, at at Sinai and Darba this weekend, and as usual with these sorts of events, you you um, uh, you like some of the talks, you like don't like other parts of the talks. Uh, you know, it's it's not a, a cut and dried issue. Uh, but one of the talks, which you know, I, I thought it was interesting. It wasn't the best talk by any means, but um, it it. I think was interesting from a perspective of this is an issue which I'm seeing getting play from across the spectrum in terms of South African jury at the moment. Basically, he was talking about the high cost of Jewish living and, and you know, the cost implications. And, I mean, basically, his to- story was just about people who were giving charity to help solve the problem, which is fine. I mean, uh, no one's going to be opposed to giving tzedakah. But what's interesting is that this guy was speaking about it, then... In the Jewish report this weekend, there was a whole thing on um, a whole a whole article on 
paying for st- people who are getting together on WhatsApps and finding coupons so that they could uh, stay kosher and, and get the right kind of uh, prices. And then there was uh, then there's been another one. I think Howard Feldman, in fact, has written something on this. And I even saw some initiatives uh, from some time ago where people have been trying to drive down the cost of living. And so what I actually want to know from you is how is this affecting you? Uh, as Chaifem listeners at the moment, are you finding that the prices are going up in certain places? Um, is it is it your school bill? Is it your electricity bill? Is it the food bill that's going up? Uh, what's really kind of causing the pinch uh, in terms of the budget? Because it does seem as though the budget is under pressure uh, in Jewish families at the moment. And what are the solutions? I mean, the whole Jewish Report article basically was about people who are finding discounts. They've been, become very, very effective at getting the best prices, buying on sales, uh, getting together. Uh, I remember last year, the year before, at some point there was uh, people who were starting to bulk buy food and delivering it to the community, uh, people who are talking about housing prices, if you want to live near Glen Hazel or whatever. So do we need to be buying up blocks of houses in cheaper areas like Orange Grove and starting new communities there, uh, you know, supporting older shuls that maybe don't have uh, such big communities. All of these things have come up. I've even seen uh, quite a lot of uh, things going on where someone will go to the Internet and say, well, maybe it's just better that we send our kids back to government schools and uh, then, you know, we'll be able to... Uh, you know, afford it, but if we have enough Jews there, then that, then that can be a way. Because the thing is, I guess, the, the biggest problem that people are coming up against is that they, is that they're struggling with the cost of school and the, and the, the fact that you're paying, uh, continuously for things which you're not getting, right? So if you are, um, if you are, how do I say it? If you, if you're, if you're just in a normal, uh, government program, uh, and you're just sending your kid to a government school, then you're obviously getting the tax back from taxes that you're paying. Because obviously it's a edu- you know, education, education that's public. But if, uh, if you're not doing that, Right, and you're having to go to a private school, then that's an additional tax, and that's obviously an additional tax if you're paying private medical aid, if you're paying private security, if you're paying all of this additional stuff, then it starts to become very, very difficult. And I think that's obviously driving up the cost for your whole family. So what are the solutions? How are you dealing with it? I'm quite interested to know what people's perspectives are out there for for making ends meet, especially since it does seem to become uh, um, more of an issue. And do we need to think of uh, better communal responses to it? Is it something we can solve as a community or is it down to individual families? And what are the potential options? What can we potentially do? Uh, to to fix a problem like this, uh, I don't know. Uh, I've sort of been giving just some things that people have been saying that they're that they're worried about, and that definitely is on the community's mind. And and I would love to I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to know you know what's what's what you're struggling with. Have you had to break down? Is it only lint chocolates once a week now? Uh, the Shabbos treats are they taking a bit of a dive? That's what I want to know from you. So you can WhatsApp us. 
061-895-1019. You can, that's, the, that's the WhatsApp line, 061-895-1019. Or you can SMS us 34519. Uh, tweet us at ChaiFM or, uh, or email us info at ChaiFM.com. I'd love to hear from you, uh, and find out, you know, how you're dealing with this particular problem so that, you know, maybe there are solutions out there that people haven't thought of uh, or are thinking of. I'd be very interested to hear from you what you think the solutions are. We're going to take a break, listen to some more music, and then, uh, yeah, we'll be talking about some other issues when we come back. The best part of your day. At the heart of your community. All the talk. All the music. All the news. Hi, FM. 101.9 Hi FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the New Blue Review. Now, you may have picked up over the weekend a story which is kind of unusual and not kind of unusual in a South African sense, uh, and yet there it was. It turns out that Esh Makashula uh, from the ANC, I think he's the Secretary General, is going to be going to Venezuela with a delegation in the next few days. And they're going to be going on a fact-finding mission. Now, quite what fact-finding they're going to be doing, who knows? It's going to be a seriously interesting uh, engagement, considering that the ANC doesn't like to send uh, fact-finding missions all that often uh, to conflict places. Occasionally, we've seen it uh, in in places like the Congo and that sort of thing. But uh, they've decided now to send one to Venezuela. What's going to be interesting is bear in mind that... Uh, Basically, most of the world has come out to say that the current uh, president, Maduro, in Venezuela is illegitimate and uh, that they want the new guy uh, who's sort of half been elected to come in instead. And there's there's been this big standoff between different parties about this particular issue. And what you've got is, you know, places like Russia and China and Cuba and a couple of other small dictatorships from uh South America and South Africa on the one side, and then pretty much the rest of the world on the other. The rest of the South American uh, continent, you've got America, you've got Canada, you've got um, chunks of Europe, Australia, all of whom are saying, well, one version of, look, Maduro is not recognized, or at least, you know, we need to, uh, you know, find a way out of this. So it's interesting to see what South Africa is going to do. They could have just been neutral. But the truth is, is that we've had a very strong relationship with the Chavez regime for quite a long time. And people like Julius Malema, while they're in the youth league, as well as many other ANC people, used to go to Venezuela all the time to see the great economic model which is now collapsing around its ears because it was all about nationalizing oil and uh, all these sorts of things. So that in and of itself is just a kind of typical story of uh, South Africa being on the wrong side of the foreign policy debate. So that's fine, issue number one. But it's taken an unusual turn, and I just thought we, we have to talk about this, because Venezuela has now become one of those issues where you... It's sort of a dividing signal on where you stand on the political, on the political spectrum, right? Iran kind of sometimes uh, operates on on that level as well, uh, except that you know Iran is is not very popular with very many leftist causes because it's a theocracy, although it's not completely unpopular either. Uh, obviously, Israel is an, another one where, depending on if you're pro-Israel or anti-Israel, uh, you immediately get boxed in with a certain kind of viewpoint, whether you like it or not. That's just how things are. And what's been incredibly interesting is that we've spoken about this before, 
We've got some new people in the American Congress uh, who've taken their seats, junior representatives, and they've been uh, sort of putting out their views, particularly on on different uh, energy aspects and healthcare, but also on foreign policy. Uh, and while we're at it, I see that one of them, Ilhan Omar, has made another anti-Semitic comment. That's like the third one in a month. Uh, so, yep, good going there. But... The other person who's been really, really popular amongst the Democrats has been Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She's this 27-year-old Hispanic woman from, uh, I think it's the Bronx, if I'm not mistaken, uh, somewhere in New York. And she's become like the battering ram for the Democratic Party as they try and claw back positions from the Republicans, from Trump, and she's kind of always out there, and she's got this Green New Deal, and she's very, very effective on social media. She's like Trump on Twitter, but like less nasty. I'll say this for her, I don't agree with a lot of her policies, but she's all about love life and unicorns and her Instagram and dancing and all sorts of things, and she's been enormously successful uh, with her social media followings to engage her base where she is and talk to the people that are out there and then uh, and, and is able to actually sh- uh, shape the conversation. Now, how much of this uh, she does just because she's like quite bright and engaged on social media level and how much of it's staged, I don't know. But it's definitely working very well for the Democrats. So the other day, they decide, she decides, I, I, literally I can't tell, but she decided to make her dinner she was making dinner. She was making a chili. That's what she was doing. She was making a chili. She was making a chili dinner. And she decided while she was at it, she would live Instagram this whilst making the chili dinner. And just give her views, her general views on what is going on in society and her views in the world, etc. And she covered all sorts of stuff, her energy deal, her new apartment that she's been in, uh uh, you know, some party that she was at. She's giving all this stuff. And then she starts to move into the realm of foreign policy, which I have to say has not been her, her strong set. And she's made already a, a few th- remarks and people are like, well, what are you talking about? And she starts talking about Venezuela. Right? This is the Venezuela thing that I was telling you about. And, and she's, and she, I don't know, she goes on this bizarre thing. I, I, I'm, I'm going to play it for you. So don't worry. You can, you can listen to it. And basically what she does with this Venezuela thing is she's like, look, you know, Venezuela is a socialist country and I'm not really sure about what we need to do about it. And for her, it's not even about socialism because don't forget, she's not really a Democrat. She's from something called a Democratic Socialist for America. So she's saying, look, it's not really a socialist issue. It's more a democracy versus an authoritarian issue. And this is where our context suddenly kicks in out of nowhere, out of nowhere. She says, and, you know, you shouldn't just judge a system by some of its effects. So she says, for example, in Zimbabwe, in Zimbabwe, they have hyperinflation and the economy is stuffed and all this kind of thing. And, and you know, you can't just say because that's a capitalist country, therefore capitalism doesn't work. Which, of course, is the most absurd thing that anyone's ever said because one of the key things that led to the unraveling of Zimbabwe is the attack on land rights, right? The the taking away of farms without compensation, which is the violation of private property and is basically the linchpin, which undercuts or under girds rather the entire capitalist system you've got to have people being able to own stuff and not have the government steal it from them in order for 
a capitalist system to work. So, in other words, she's used Zimbabwe as an example, according to her, about how we shouldn't judge a failure of capitalism. And actually what it is, is another failure of socialism that she's using to justify another failure of socialism, which is just quite remarkable. So I just thought that it was amazing uh, that this could actually take place and that you've got this funny triangle that a week after she says this, the ANC uh, with their land issues and their kind of socialist view on the world, etc., is going to be floating out to Venezuela to check it out. Uh, they'll be happy to know that the the chili cutting uh, at uh, Astasia Cortez's house is going to be covering them as well. I have to th- have to say though, I will give her this. I don't think I've watched too many American public representative speeches in the House of Representatives or whatever uh, in the time, even though I'm very interested in. In politics, and I definitely picked up on the fact that she was making chili in her house. And I think that this is actually something that's very interesting and something we need to be paying attention to is how politicians are starting to use social media, uh, to, to, to drive the story and how we as a community can do it as well. So there we go. Have a listen to Alexandria Acacia Cortez and her views on cooking whilst politicking. Um, the way I feel about it, is first and foremost, we have to empower and center uh, the people of Venezuela and the will of the public. That is um, the number one issue that we have to center here because um, really the issues of our time, you know, people want to make this about like an ideology, like, oh, this is about socialism, this is about capitalism, this is about this, that, and the other, and it doesn't what people don't understand is that this is really kind of an issue of authoritarianism versus democracy in many different ways. And um, just like we don't point to countries like Zimbabwe or, or other nations, other failed states that use capitalist frameworks and say, oh, look, because this nation has hyperinflation and is, is a failed state, um, this tells you the failures of capitalism it's a first of all uh this is really an issue of a failure of democracy and first and i would say that people want to say my ideology is this my ideology is that what i believe in above all else is is a true democracy is democracy as a form of government and democracy in the workplace democracy in our economy um that is that is one of my number one guiding principles and um and when we see a failure of democracy like for example in our country where corporations and the rich have well, there you go. It's, it cuts out. If you want to watch the rest of it, you can go on Twitter or on Instagram and see what uh, uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez thinks about the rich and about the rest of America. So I just thought that that was an absolutely fascinating uh, insight into a whole bunch of things from politics to how social media is operating. We're going to take a short break and we come back. Um, we're going to be chatting. I see we've got some messages uh, about a couple of things. So we're going to be talking about that. Hi FM. Stay relevant and up to date. This is 101.9 High FM. 
It is 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the new Blue Review. Welcome back to the show. Nice to be with you. I see we've got a message in from Jenny. Jenny, thanks so much for sending us a message. And she's saying, firstly, the cost of living is even a bigger struggle for people outside of the community where there aren't all these social structures that we have. Uh, so thank you, Jenny. I, I mean, I, I agree with you. That as a Jewish community, we are very lucky that we have these sort of institutions that will catch people when they fall, right? And and I think that that was the point of this guy's talk at Sinai and Daba was he was saying, look, uh, we have to get it all together, make sure that we're supporting all of our charitable organizations, all of our communal institutions. Uh, and I appreciate that. But the problem I have is that that is when people fall off the ladder, so to speak. They're no longer on the wagon. Uh, and once they've done that, then we have to catch them. But the point is, at least we can, unless we can find some preventative measures to try and reduce the cost of, of living for people in the community, then we're going to have more and more of these people falling into the bracket. Uh, and instead of being a safety net, this is going to be where everybody is. And so I'm wondering, are there not other solutions that we can think of that people know of, um, that we can use to, to try and reduce the cost of living so that we don't have to rely as the, the sort of, uh, method of last resort on the communal structures. So uh, I'd love to hear your views. 0618951019. That's the WhatsApp. Uh, SMS us three four five one nine. Email us on airchaifem.com. Tweet us at airchaifem, and uh, we will quite happily take any of your suggestions. Uh, I'm telling you, right? There are shawls in places like Orange Grove, in Kalani, uh, in uh, in Northcliffe, which are cheaper parts of the city. Right, and we have all these young people who are looking for houses. They've got young families, and they want to be—they're happy to be close to the ghetto, to the shtetl, to whatever it is. Uh, but they don't have to be on top of one another. So imagine if we were to able to create a fund, like a housing fund, through a few billionaires in the community, and you just buy up a block nearby a shawl, and you sort of create it as a subsidized uh, housing or, or interest-free, so that people could all then live in those houses, and you create like a little street. Uh, like a kind of a kibbutz sort of thing where people can live. They have access to a shul. Uh, they have access to a cheaper part of town, but they're not so far away from the main part of the community. I just wonder if that kind of thing would work in order to, um, in order to, you know, uh, do whatever it is we need to do in order to cut costs. Uh, or is it, do we need to take over public schools again? I don't know. Uh, I'd be very interested to hear from you. Now, it is uh, important that we know that it is election time. Election time is coming up. And it's not only South Africans in South Africa who are allowed to vote. Uh, it turns out that after a lot of wrangling with the courts and speaking to people or whatever, uh, you can now get elected from overseas. And there are a lot of people, uh, a lot of Jews, a lot of people not Jews, who are living overseas who might be potential candidates to vote. And who knows? You know, it takes only 40,000 votes to create a member of parliament. So if all the people who are living abroad, some people say as many as a few hundred thousand even, are, are, are now living abroad, maybe more, that's a, an important uh, an important thing that, that people can do to, to still have a connection to South Africa, even though they're not here anymore. Uh, but they still have a say in what goes on. So uh, it's a you know incredible opportunity that people can have, and you can vote in your 
uh, in your embassy, if I'm not mistaken. But you do have to, uh, it seems here, fill out a, a certain kind of form uh, if you want to register. So uh, there's a whole, if you just Google vote overseas or whatever, the DA has a whole site in this, the IC has a whole site in this, and they've got a whole aspect where you can go and you can check, first of all, what do you have to do to register? There's a certain kind of uh, form for some kinds of people if you're not registered already, uh, and there's a certain time period uh, when when you have to do it. So if you if you do want to vote, you have to do it actually, I think, fairly soon. Um, and then there's also where can you register and where can you eventually vote. So I would definitely encourage people to do that. And if not, to maybe just share some of the stuff on Facebook and Twitter so that all your people who are abroad, uh, they are able to actually vote as well in, in the election and, and spread that information. So you can check it out on the, um, on the IEC website. That's elections.org.za. And, and, uh, the da is another one that's got some stuff on it. And I think we need to encourage people. We need to encourage people to say, you know, just because you've left the country doesn't mean that your voice is still not important. And what can we do to actually have your voice heard? And one of the things you can do is vote. Don't just sit on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook and moan all day. Uh, actually get out there and do something. So, uh, maybe we need to send like a video or do like a high FM advert for all the people who are listening. And if you're listening from abroad, are you intending to vote? I'd like to know. Uh, 0618951019. WhatsApp us, because that's pretty much the best way, or even Twitter at high FM. Uh, we want to know from you, are you intending to vote? Have you, uh, gone in and registered and all these kind of things? And how can we actually encourage more people to do it? Because it is an important voting group. And, uh, you know, why not? Why not have the opportunity to, to do what you need to do, uh, in order to, in, in order to vote? Because I think that is rather an important topic and uh, just something that, uh, people can consider, uh, at the moment. I see we have, uh, another message in, uh, at the moment. Uh, it's coming in from, uh, Faith Mangope, uh, and she's saying, listening to Chai FM, uh, loving your show. Well, Faith, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for sending in. Um, Faith's very, very cool in the media space. So the fact that she's listening to the show and thinks it's good, I think that that is excellent. So, Faith, I do appreciate it. Thank you very much. And, you know, if anybody else wants to send me a compliment about how uh, cool our show is, we're, we're always happy to take uh, compliments. Or, in fact, if you have critiques or even like the, the occasional mild death threat, we'll always take those. Uh, as well, so you can SMS those death threats on three four five one nine because that's one rand fifty. And so, you, if you're going to do stuff like that, you might as well pay for it. Let's take a short break, and uh, yeah, when we come back, we'll be talking about Maya Kahana uh, as part of our follow-up from last week's discussion on the parliamentary elections in Israel. A frequency like no other. One hundred one point nine High FM is indeed one hundred one point nine High FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the New Blue Review. And we got a message in from Renee. Renee lives in Israel, and she says, "Hi, Benji. I've checked it out, and it looks as though it entails registering, and then you have to physically go to a point and vote. But the voting takes place on a Shabbos." Uh, thanks, Renee from Israel. So that's a very interesting point. Uh, you know, normally when we do our voting, it happens uh, over a weekday. And, um, and it's in the middle of the week. The government likes to make sure that nobody's going to go take a long weekend. So it's always like a Wednesday. 
this year is the 8th of May or something. And clearly for overseas voting, they don't want to do that, so they've done it on a Saturday. And I just wonder uh, what is the effect uh, going to have on a place like Israel, where obviously people are um, in are, are, are doing things for Shabbat and, 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 and can't make it. I wonder if we have to maybe petition the embassy in Israel uh, with our ambassador that's not there at the moment. Uh, and and see what what is the best way to handle this because I think it's uh, definitely a problem. Maybe we have to start a bit of a, a tweet campaign for particularly Israelis, but I guess other Jews around the world who want to be able to vote. Um, so that is uh, interesting. Now on that very long uh, song that was called "Still Silence," by the way, by Ehud Banai, um, Kathy Kaler arrived in the studio. And she told me about the story uh, someone sent her an email many years ago where the guy was talking about the fact that Jewish families can't make it on a 100,000 rand a month. Uh, and she's saying that she thinks that that is too uh, much. Um, she thinks that uh, we need to uh, think about how how are we spending as a community. Maybe instead of looking for ways uh, on 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 the side of, of paying for things, we need to cut down on our lifestyles and, uh, and, and actually sort of, are we playing too much keeping up with the Coenses, so to speak, right? Uh, perhaps we as a community are, are too f- uh, flash, uh, too interested in the cars and, and everything. And maybe we can afford the basics, uh, even if they are privatized, uh, and it is expensive to send kids to Jewish schools, etc. Uh, we just need to, uh, Cut down and, and, and trim our cloth, so to speak. So, uh, I'd be very interested to know, uh, you know, your views on that. Definitely something which, which people are talking about because they are worried about. Now, as I promised last week, there was a big, there's a big discussion at, at the moment about the fact that Netanyahu has gone and sort of half formed this coalition in the Israeli, uh, parliamentary politics with a sort of very, uh, racist party. Well, this is the claim. And, and a lot of people are saying, well, it's a Kahanist party. That's always what, what the epithet that's attached to, uh, that's attached to it when, when, when people talk about it. Uh, so just to be clear, what happened is that, uh, there was a political party and um, Netanyahu was concerned it was going to fall apart. And because it was going to fall apart, yeah, he, he told it to join up with another party, which is this very extreme party. And in, in thankfulness, uh, he offered them a, a spot on, on his list. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, people have been very, very cross about this because they're saying you bring dodgy elements into the coalition, etc. Now, what does it mean to be a Kohanist, though? So I thought I would look it up for you. Uh, if you're interested in this topic, there's a great chapter on Kohana and very accessible in a book called When They Come For Us, We'll Be Gone. Uh, and the book is actually about the struggle to save Soviet Jewry by someone called Gal Beckerman. And I actually think it's essential reading. Uh, if you're at all interested in Jewish activism and understanding where American Jewry came from, it, its approach to all sorts of things. This book is a fantastic book, uh, and some, it's a story that South Africans don't know enough about. So I would really encourage you, When They Come For Us, We'll Be Gone by Gull Beckerman. And he has a whole chapter on on uh, Maya Kahana. So in the couple of minutes that we have left, Kahana was a rabbi. He actually lived in the Bronx in... in uh, in America, and at the time there was uh, quite a lot of, of racial tension because you'll recall that Jews 
uh, and African Americans had pretty much been on the same side uh, during the civil rights era. Uh, but there was starting to fray around the edges for a variety of reasons and you, you can go into it in the book and, and, and people started getting uh, fairly scared and there were worries about um, uh, you know uh, protection on the streets particularly Jewish teachers were starting to become afraid that uh, very militant aspects of the civil rights movement were going to uh, uh, hurt them etc so he started something called the Jewish Defense League uh, and the Jewish Defense League literally used to walk around in fatigue. They looked a little bit like the EFF, actually. Uh, and they would walk around uh, with uh, bass, baseball bats and chains and all sorts of things. And if they felt like there was someone going to be under attack, they actually would sort of uh, beat them up. They were a proper sort of vigilante kind of a group. And they, and they very much focused on Jewish pride and Jewish self-defense. And... and they have all of these views of the world in terms of love of jury, dignity of pride, discipline and unity. And they really were very much a fringe group uh, until eventually Kahana moved to Israel and they kept arresting him uh, for for sort of domestic terrorism. You know, Israel has a whole unit for, for arresting domestic terrorists. Uh, and, and he tried to run continuously for the Knesset and he kept not getting in until eventually he got one seat, which was for him until eventually um, – the, is, the Israeli parliament passed the law that his party was too racist, uh, to, to lead, uh, to, to run in the, the, in the, in the parliament, uh, including uh, a number of, of, uh, proposals that he made was that, uh, Arabs and Jews should not be able to, to marry, uh, and, uh, and, and that, uh, Arabs should be sort of forcibly removed from certain areas, uh, and, and these sorts of things. Now, his party eventually disintegrated, especially after he was assassinated later on uh, by an Egyptian man. And uh, but but some of those proposals were taken up by later parties. And I think that this is where, when people talk about a Kohanist, that is what they're talking about in the parties. Another one of his supporters was Baruch Goldstein, who, of course, uh, was had the famous shootout in uh, Hebron and killed uh, uh, all those Palestinians, which then sort of helped settle the Intifada. So uh, it's worth worth going into, worth understanding. We don't have that much more time. Maybe we will discuss it a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, when they come for us, they'll be gone by Gal Beckerman. Definitely worth your time. Uh, a little bit of even a Wikipedia-ing, uh, also, also worth your time. But, uh, yeah, that's a basis of Maya Kahana, and I'm sure we will not be hearing the last of him or his follow-up parties. Thank you to everyone who helped put the show together today. Mandy uh, has been doing the producing. Vusi, uh are doing the sound side of things. Craig who pushes all the big red buttons. And, of course, to all of you who do listen to the show and contribute, thank you so much, and I'll chat to you again next week.